welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. How are you this evening? I'm doing great, Yuri. Thanks for having me on. Excellent, of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the time to chat with me. Sure. So I'd like to hear how you describe yourself and what you do. Well, uh, I'm an MD uh, physician. Uh, I own a private practice in North Atlanta called North Atlanta Hair Restoration. And my background... um, after medical school, started in uh, general surgery. I did a year of surgery and then uh, actually went into physical medicine and rehabilitation and did a fellowship in brain injury rehabilitation. And uh, that kind of let me uh, uh, kind of explore some academic stuff at Emory University in Atlanta. And then in 2000, started my own practice and uh, ran a uh, kind of a brain injury trauma inpatient rehabilitation um, center. Uh, it had about 33 beds, and um, it was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And also during that time, I did a pain management fellowship. Um, so I had a busy practice doing like epidural injections, neuroblocks, even like spinal cord stimulators, pain pumps in the spine. So you know, some pretty major stuff. Um, it, but then, what also came with that was something that I really didn't want to be part of, which was opioid management, okay. even though I, I had a lot of patients that required it. But <clears throat> it really um, led me to where I am in hair um, as this opioid epidemic really unfolded uh, right before my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my journey through medicine, um, I worked for about six years doing this inpatient rehabilitation uh, work. I was on call every other weekend. I mean, getting in at five, getting home at nine, at many nights. Um, I gained about 40 pounds. And one day I literally felt like I was gonna have a heart attack. And I just said, you know what, I'm done. And I left the hospital, uh, kept going with my outpatient uh, pain practice. And um, when when I shut it down in 2015, finally, I actually had seen almost 11,000 patients, believe it or not, wow. in, the, in, in about 15 years. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, just a, a lot of injections. Um, I got certified in acupuncture as well. We had personal training in our office, <clears throat> uh, but there was still kind of a dissatisfaction um, as, you know, owning a private practice. I mean, I was hit with all of the regulatory issues, whether it was you know, new HIPAA, you know, things for your information or billing uh, changes, um, you know, Department of Labor, just just everything. And um, and not to mention, you know, this opioid epidemic that I brought up before was just really getting out of control. And um, so in 2011, I was at a crossroads where I thought, am I going to live like this as a doctor or am I going to you know, find that joy of being a doctor again. 
And uh, I was on vacation with my brother, who's a plastic surgeon, and we're sitting on the beach, and he said, you need to go into hair transplant. <laughs> and uh, I said, are you kidding me? And he, he, he said, no, he had, had just taken a, a small mini course in hair transplant. And um, he said the guy teaching it was actually uh, an ER physician who left the ER and has a thriving hair practice. So I was intrigued and started doing some research, and I took a four-day uh, course and really kind of found myself. I just <clears throat> fell in love with it um, and, and just got that joy back of being a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was it was a, a somewhat of a tough transition. I, I, I started my practice in hair in 2012 mm-hmm. and continued the pain practice through 2015. Um, and I pretty much just kind of switched that out as I got busier in hair. Um, and I was I knew that I would be exiting the pain practice. I was letting patients go, finding them new doctors, and then I just shut that down. So I, I've done hair exclusively since uh, the beginning, beginning of 2015. Okay, great. So, yeah. so okay, so you and your brother are both doctors. Um, yes. Was there so was there something younger or you know growing up that kind of planted the seeds from your parents or from your environment that made you and your brother want to get into medicine? Well, my, my father's an orthopedic surgeon okay. and okay. my mother's a nurse and then my sister is a nurse practitioner. So, okay. um, <laughs> that kind of narrows it down. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing, it's like if somebody was hurt on the, on the uh, playground, they would come to me you know, and say, Hey, come check this person out. I, I don't know why, but it, it was, it was kind of, uh, in my blood to become a doctor. So it was really killing me in 2011. Um, and, and really what happened um, is the rules in Georgia changed so that if you were board certified in pain, then you were one of the only doctors that could write chronic narcotic therapy. So okay. Okay. within a month or so, I mean, I had hundreds of patients having me take over, wanting me to take over Oxycontin, methadone, morphine, you name it. And I just said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm happy to treat you, uh, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of the beginning of the end because the other doctors couldn't write, and they would call up and say, well, if you're not going to write this, then I'm going to send them to someone else. And I, I pretty much said, I, I'm happy to treat your patients, but I'm not going to do the meds. And um, so that was, um, you know, definitely uh, a t- a, just a difficult time for me. Um, and I had a lot of friends in business, and they always seemed like they were having a great, you know, new project to work on, and, and they were energized. And I just felt, my gosh, <laughs> what am I going to do? I mean, at that time, I was, I'm, I'm 50 now, so this is back, you know, six years ago. I'm 44, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty much miserable. Um, so, uh, but right now, I'm happy, um, you know, doing what I do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So there, so there are a couple of times when it looks like you kind of switched um, kind of trajectories a little bit. So when you were working for the Emory University Hospital and then you started your own practice and then most recently when you went from pain um, to then to the hair restoration, were there – so how did you learn to manage the business side of your practice and was was any of the business side covered in any of the you know the the training that you had 
through medical school or, or through other courses that you took? Yeah, there, there's absolutely no training in medical school or residency. <clears throat> um, and, um, you know, I when I when I kind of started my practice, I had about, I don't know, about six months. So I just started doing a lot of research, um, even with like uh, the Small Business Association, coming up with a business plan, Performa, you know, SWOT analysis, just all this stuff. And um, I found some really awesome people, you know, consultants uh, and, and attorneys, uh, you know, about three months before I started my practice. And I had literally everything in notebooks and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to purchase. And um, then um, they got me ready to meet with banks and um, they were impressed with everything I did. And at that time, I mean, you could get easy money. And um, so I, I, I think I even got like a $300,000 loan to start my practice. So, but when I started that practice, I had zero patients and, you know, still had some loans from all the training and everything else. And I just kind of worked through it, went door to door. Um, every, uh, throughout my practice, I never had a wait. So if somebody needed to be seen, the office culture was let's add them on the schedule and um, we always have cancellations or people don't show up and all you have to say is come in right now you may have to wait it's not a big deal instead of our next available appointment is in four four weeks or something so that that really resonated with a lot of doctors and I I think they saw that I wasn't kind of a, a typical guy that uh, I, they, they knew that I was a hard worker and that I was passionate. And, um, you know, we just worked on great po- uh, patient follow-up. And I had consultants that would come on a monthly basis and analyze my practice, uh, analyze the billing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we were kind of early adopters of uh, electronic medical uh, software. In fact, there's a company uh, in, in Atlanta that they started the first ASP-driven um, medical. Not it wasn't a medical. It was a billing software, and I was their first client. So um, it, it was just a very exciting time, um, and just a lot of new procedures coming out. And that kind of continued till about 2007, and then just there were new regulations coming, new cuts. Um, it seemed like every year we were getting hit with. You know, a 10% cut here, 12% there. And it was always January 1st when Medicare would announce this and all the other insurance companies would follow. And um, so over time, you know, I had this very successful business monetarily. And then each year it was less and less and less. And then you, you, you start letting go of staff and cutting back and your service goes down. And it just becomes, you know, a lot more, <laughs> a lot more planning and and really culminated to 2011, where it was just really miserable for me. I'm sure. So when you then closed down your your pain practice and went over to the hair restoration, how? So did you use a similar type of, I guess, process to restart? Where I mean, it's it's probably not a a direct like send one patient from one to the other. How did you? I guess, how did you approach starting over in a brand new practice and build up that practice from there? So, I, you know, I started, you know, uh, researching and taking courses for the hair in 2011. Mm-hmm. 
then 2012, I purchased equipment and started a company. And um, I uh, uh, mentored with, you know, some of the top guys doing hair. Um, I just called around, looked around on the Internet, who were these guys? And I called them up and I said, how much does it cost to spend two days with you? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was $2,500. And But those were incredible days to just really kind of see the operation uh, see the speed and the accuracy and, and really sit down with them. And I've really become, you know, great friends with them through the years at meetings and stuff. Um, so it was, it was great. Uh, you know, I've always tried to find good people to lead me in the right direction. Um, you just can't do it on your own. Yeah. And so that was a catalyst. I went to Europe and uh, went to an incredible course where, uh, I, I think the best guy in the world is a guy named um, uh, Jose Lorenzo. And if you ever want to see artistry at work, look him up on YouTube. But um, uh, I, I got to spend about two or three hours one-on-one with him, and it was it was unbelievable. It, it really uh, took me to a different level. <clears throat> so, and and I still um, uh, visit doctors. I, I visited a top doctor in, in Minneapolis um, about six months ago. And have plans to visit some other docs. Um, to, I, I want to do three doctors a year, you know, for the next couple of years. Okay. Uh, and you know, ultimately, I got board certified in hair, um, and there are less than 300 people actually uh, in the states that have it, and less than 400 in the world. It's actually kind of a, a U.S. and international, um, uh, you know, um, certification. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there was just a lot of cases that you had to present, and it was a very tough, tough uh, ordeal, you know, to kind of put it all together. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think for me, it's just been, I've had to roll up the sleeves. Uh, When I transitioned, there's no question, I I had two years that were tough. Um, I had to moonlight at other places in pain, um, you know, just to kind of uh, keep the family going and, you know, you, you you kind of acquire wealth and property and things like that. Uh, it it just takes cash flow. <laughs> so, right. um, but that that was not a big deal. Um, and then um, you know the hair practice. Um, I've I've gone through different internet companies, different um, you know consultants, and um, I've just had the you know the, the wherewithal to just say this isn't working out. I need to. Find somebody else and thank god i did because it just really kept you know uh, catapulting me up in google searches and blogging and, and things like that <clears throat> and um you just i think as a doctor when you're in kind of private practice or in the hospital you're everything's on autopilot the patients come but when you're in hair and it, you know there's a lot of competition and it's really sale, sales driven um, you've got to be more than just a doctor, and you have to do just a lot more stuff, you know, blogging, writing uh, constantly, um, you know, uh, doing things like podcasts uh, just to get the interest level. Sure. Uh, and, and really credibility um, that, that people demand because when you're changing somebody's cosmetic, especially hair, I mean, it's like gold to them, and it's limited as far as how many hairs you can move. And um, so I always feel like I'm handling your gold, and I'm going to make it work for you. Um, and um, 
you know, I think um, my approach, and we'll get into this uh, soon, mm-hmm. um, you know, people feel safe, and um, um, we don't do guarantees, but, you know, I don't have any bad reviews because um, we always make people happy, whether we add graphs or do other things to, to build up the density, so, um, uh, which is great. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so so yeah, so let's get into the hair a bit. Uh, yeah. So you know, there's tons of commercials out there for different products, and I think every day on the <laughs> internet, internet, there's some other kind of like w- magic device or or pill that you can take. Um, so realistically, what? So what are like I guess what is the most common misinformation you see being put out there right now about hair and hair restoration? I, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, uh, people feel a sense of shame that they're actually coming to get a consult. Um, many, just because of the old plugs and mm-hmm. the, the old connotations of, of people that, um, you know, had some some work done that was not natural looking. Right. And, um, I, you know, I think that's the biggest fear is, is it going to look natural Um and uh, am I going to re- regret this? Um, so um, I, I think that's the biggest hurdle people need to get through. I think the second one is just the whole concealment thing. I mean, this is very private. And um, we encourage, you know, our current patients to, um, you know, if they know somebody and they, they feel comfortable to refer, it, we, we appreciate referrals from patients. It doesn't happen much because people don't even want to talk about it. Um, and the other thing is they don't want a huge ordeal where they have to take a couple weeks off to heal from a, from a hair transplant. I mean, we've got, you know, owners of companies, CEOs of companies, people in sales. We have average people uh, that, you know, husbands, wives, but they have, you know, big social activities going on. Um, so it's not all glamour and glitz. It's not all high-profile people that get this done. I mean, there are a lot of people that, um, you know, we work with financing-wise or we do smaller multiple cases so they can, you know, get it done in, in a budget that, that works with them. So um, the biggest thing is, um, I mean, hair is, is is when you have it, it's awesome. When you don't, it's it's a real bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's not a medical thing, but it really affects people um, confidence-wise, depression-wise. Um I think there are plenty of studies out there that show that, uh, you know, people with, with hair loss, you know, maybe don't have the advantages that people that, uh, you know, that have hair, whether it's dating or possibly even, you know, job selection, things like that. So, um, you know, all of this plays into people's psyche. So what I've tried to do <clears throat> is come up with really a stealth way of doing hair transplant where, I'd say probably 80% of our patients, we do what's called a, a shaveless procedure where um, we don't have to, you know, really give anybody a weird haircut. Mm-hmm. We can work with the, the hair that's already there, do grafting around the, the long hair, and then when we move it up, we actually take it from the back and sides of the head, and then when we move it up, um, we do a lot of things to just conceal the grafts and just make it seamless. Um, so. They don't have to take a lot of time off. Sure. So, okay. So, 
is that a painful process? So are you so like you said from the back of the head, so like you know back toward like the, I guess like your neckline. Are yeah. You, is that like do you have to numb someone to do that? Do you, are you just like are yeah. you cutting your your skin or is it you you like just basically kind of like plucking the hairs out and then re. Plant him, and, and I, I know this is like the most like layman's non-technical terms. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll just uh, start out by saying that I have not written pain medications for 18 months post-op. Okay. So, uh, other not narcotics, maybe like a nerve pill occasionally. So the post-operative course is not a painful. Okay. Uh, thing. All right, so there are two, uh, at least the way I do it, there are two ways of doing hair transplant right now. One is to uh, make an incision, sometimes from ear to ear in the back, Mm -hmm. and and then they'll cut out about maybe an index finger width of all the hair and pull that entire strip out and then sew sew the edges together. Mm -hmm. And the bummer is that people get left with a linear scar. Um, Sometimes there's numbness and pain. Uh, you know, uh, it can be a tough post-operative course, and then other times it's very easy. I don't do that um, approach. What I do is I get single follicle uh, groupings, either one hair all the way up to four hairs, with a, a, a punch. Usually, it's about 0.85 milligram or millimeters to 0.9 millimeters, so it's really small. Mm-hmm. And we just take random hairs. So those hairs have to be short when you graft them. So we just cut those random hairs, leave everything else long, extract the hairs using a punch, they, um, and then they get implanted using these pens. It's, it's basically a stick in place. So it's really directional. I can lay it down or have it stand up or go left and right. And when you throw in you know, ones up front to soften the hairline or the sides and uh, add more volume with twos, threes, and fours to, to get more density, that's how you get a natural look. You know, it doesn't, doesn't look pluggy. And the directionality is key. <clears throat> so every graft we look at not only, you know, how it's laying, but there's also an arc to the hair. So you want all the arcs to be headed down, you know, towards the head, not, you know, some going to the left, right, or up. Um, and when you can get all that in sync, um, having the arc in all the, um, you know, the right dimensions, uh, it's very natural, um, almost almost indistingu- indistinguishable. Now, it's really hard to get entirely full density just because you're going to be, you know, putting in so many graphs, and it get, becomes a cost thing. And, and um, the other thing is how much hair do you have to, no- to donate back there? Right. So, um, you know, you have to be um, – but there are certain densities that work up front and, and in the back um, that we can spread things out. Sure. So this this process is it is it primarily then for let's say like receding hairlines and thinning up front, or is it also like if you're thinning up top? Yeah, anything. So you know, okay. the, the crown is you know, kind of the proverbial yarmulke in the back. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, you know, a lot of people just have that. About 15% have like just pure crown loss with no receding hairline. Um, and then, you know, the typical male pattern is going to be receding hairline back, and then, you know, the crown starts to, you know, and they, they're like big puddles that come together. <clears throat> but, you know, a lot of it depends on how old are you, how coarse is your hair, like how thick each hair is, um, you know, what kind of density do you have, um, what's your family history. So, 
you know, it all kind of plays into what prescription we recommend. I mean, if you're 20 years old, really balding, and you have a strong family history, you have to be really careful um, and do go, go conservative because they're going to hate you in about 20 years when everything else falls out and they just have this lump of hair in the front of their head. Um, so, um, you know, uh, the younger people, I'm, I'm more cautious. We have some medical things that we do. Uh, mm-hmm. um, we inject platelets and even fat in the scalp to generate hair growth and, and uh, do some medication management, um, laser light management as well. So um, it's not all hair transplant. Yeah, okay. So so with that, um, are there – so, you know, before somebody would get to the hair transplant stage, um, you know, you know, uh, Rogaine is the most common thing to hear about. But are there – like in your professional opinion, are there products that if somebody is just starting to lose their hair or starting to get a little thin that actually do work and are not just marketing gimmicks? Yeah. Well, you know, most of the um, marketing products, um, whether they're, you know, vitamins or um, things that you put on, on, the, on the scalp are what are called clinically proven. They're not scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and clinically proven means that you don't have to get FDA approval for what you say. Okay. But, but it can't be like so outrageous that it, it's you're lying. Um, so... Um, you know, most of the commercials that you see on TV, they'll say clinically proven to, uh, you know, bring back hair or restore hair. And um, I really don't recommend those products. Um, I just I'll tell you the best um, thing that I hear people say is I think it works. It, but and they literally just keep using it because they want it to work and they're they're scared if they stop it. Then and, and sometimes they pay hundreds of dollars a month. Um, and, but I have not had a single patient tell me this is awesome. You need to do it on every patient. Um, so I used to sell products and I actually stopped. I just don't want to be a salesman. I don't want to say, try this for three months and come back. Um, cause I've done it and it, it's a bummer. You know, people, people want to start the process and, and, um, they feel like they just kind of wasted some money. So, um, now, scientifically, uh, Rogaine is scientifically proven. There are a lot of studies. The only thing with, with Rogaine is you have to take it continuously because if you're on it, off it, on it, off it, uh, you'll go, get into shedding. Um, so you can actually not permanently lose hair, but you'll shed hair, mm-hmm. which can be a bummer. And then people think, oh, it, it's causing me to lose hair, so they stop it. But if you use it continuously, it's got to be twice a day. It is effective, and that's scientifically proven. Um, and then the platelet therapy, which is called PRP, platelet-rich plasma injection therapy, we don't have a lot of studies, but there's a ton of clinical information. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen some really amazing uh, improvements uh, through the years. Uh, I've been doing it for hair since 2012, and it's one of the most common things I do. <clears throat> and... Um, we just recently started doing fat, um, which um, it's too new in my brain to figure out, um, you know, the effectiveness. And um, there just aren't a ton of studies in hair on PRP and fat, but every doctor who does hair restoration does PRP just about. 
Okay, sure. So, yeah. um, so like cost-wise, PRP. You said it's PRP, right? PRP versus like the the actual the implant or not the yes. the restoration part. What's um, I know it's going to be depending on you know a lot of different factors, but is there like a ballpark one versus another? Yeah, um, well, the PRP, I mean, varies. Um, there are different um, concentrations. Different clinics um, uh, have have you come back like every six months and do like four or five treatments to build up the growth factors. Um, I hate doing multiple procedures on people, and uh, I've had actually uh, five or six PRP injections on myself, and I, I feel like it's really helped. Um, but it's not the most pleasant thing to go through. And so I wanted to come up with a treatment that was, you know, longer term, that was we we're just going to really hit it hard with concentrated PRP and uh, not have to do all these procedures to get a result. So <clears throat> we take 120 cc's of blood. Um, now, keep in mind, a pint of blood is 400. So it's, it's not like a massive amount of blood. Yeah. Um, but uh, a lot of places just take 20 cc's of blood um, and spin it down. So they're maybe getting concentrations of about two times body concentration, and we're probably about six to eight times body concentration. And we get a lot of PRP, so we can really do the whole top of the head. Um, and we, we mix a medicine called A-cell, A-C-E-L-L, which is a stem cell attractant, and, um, and it, it's called a, a mic- micro-matrix. So... It works with the PRP, and we do a maximal dose of that. So we've had people that have had, you know, 24, 36 months of improvement with one injection. Um, in a lot of other places, it's kind of a yearly uh, injection doing, you know, lesser blood. So, and, and there are different different machines and, and different centrifuges, but we, we have a double centrifuge that we use to get it really concentrated. Uh, and um, so... That's our approach, um, you know, uh, and, and other people have great approaches, too, that work. This is what works for me and I think works well for the patients because it's better to just have one injection than four or five injections, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so so with that, I guess, so time-wise, and again, I know it varies on, on patient and severity of hair loss, um, but, you know, let's say like your average – a patient that has showed up who's done one injection, if they, the ones that were successful, how soon did they see some kind of results? Was it within like a, a month or two months? Yeah, or three months? It's, it actually takes about six months. Six months, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can get some shedding after the PRP, especially for the women, it can be a real bummer. They mm-hmm. shed more than the guys, so they tend to come back a little bit upset. And it's just a counseling thing. Just hang in there. And um, three months is about the earliest. And then really at six months is when uh, when people have uh, can see really significant results. But it does not work on people that have just skin. It's not going to like you know uh, bring follicles from you know from the grave yeah. uh, to life. But if you've got thinning hair, and that's really what happens with most alopecia that we see that the hair just thins 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 and the growth cycles become more in a rest phase than, than in a growth phase and the prp reverses that and makes it more in, in a normal growth cycle oh that's good to know okay so okay so on the i guess i didn't really realize that so once you're i guess lose hair in that section 
it's not possible to regrow it again. You have to have something implanted there. Is, is that correct? I mean, the analogy I use is if you have a lawn that parts of it, there's no grass, and you're going to have to see it as you sod it. That would be hair transplant. Okay. But if part of your lawn is really not doing well, I mean, you can do things like water, fertilize, limb up the trees to get more sunlight, aerate. That's more of the man- medical management. So. Most of the people I see are not totally bald. Um, it's actually more that that's probably less than twenty percent. I mean, it, I'm seeing younger and younger folks that say they're 25 and they've got receding hairlines and they're kind of freaking out. And they're great for medical management to maintain what they have. And then I'll do you know some some hair transplant as well. But I always preface you know there is a chance that it's going to fade behind there and you may need another case. Uh, but, but we do it in a way so it's timeless. And most people uh, have enough grafts to at least get back to the crown, you know, where the, the front and the, and the middle part of the scalp is covered. And for a lot of people, the crown doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, and um, so, uh, but I'm doing younger and younger patients. In fact, I recently did a 20-year-old patient. He's my youngest one, um, who was really depressed, um, almost it kind of in a suicidal mindset, yeah. um, and had a different type of, of recession. He actually was receding on the sides, like by his ears, and it made his temporal area just really rounded and kind of weird-looking. And uh, you can be really aggressive on the sides because that's not going to recede back much more. Mm-hmm. He, he's so happy. Uh, and, <laughs> and he had seen like three other doctors who said, no, you're 20 years old. You're too young. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, that's one of those cases that you're, you're just psyched. I mean, his mother was just so happy. And he's back in college. And, you know, so like I said, case by case, you have to look at everything. And um, one of the problems with hair transplant is that it's so salesy mm-hmm. and a lot of the doctors are not involved. So <clears throat> it really takes kind of a medical, um, you know, evaluation and, and kind of that, that medical kind of do no harm uh, mentality when you look at people. Yeah. And there are many consults. I, I say they have severe hair loss and they have such a bad donor site, I just say, I think we can shave your head and maybe do some scalp micropigmentation. That's another thing we do is mini tattooing mm-hmm. that looks like follicles. Or, um, you know, um, we just kind of hold off because I just don't think you have the hair to actually have hair transplant. I, I've had that discussion multiple times. Yeah. So, um, so you know, the people listening to this podcast are are, are uh, across the world, actually. Um, so, if somebody isn't able to come chat with you, and, and it sounds like you run an amazing practice in Atlanta, how? What are some things that they should look for if they, you know, want to find someone in their local state uh, or local area that to who is a reparable uh, hair transplant specialist? Um. Well, I think, you know, obviously you have to look at the reviews. Um, and um, most of my patients just do a ton of research. Um, and I would see multiple doctors. In fact, I encourage uh, patients, especially if they don't have a lot of knowledge and maybe they're kind of hedging 
a lot. I said, you know, I, I think you should probably see a couple more doctors and um, kind of get a sense of, of what we're doing and, and, and what the process is. So it, it's all about education. Um, okay. There are some great podcasts like The Bald Truth. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but uh, Spencer, Spencer Coburn is um, the host. Uh, great resource. Um, it's it's a great, great show. It, it's kind of off color and it, it's He's he's a patient advocate and really kind of makes it real as far as um, um, who should get it, who shouldn't. Um, I uh, I'm actually part of a society called the IAHRS, and I think there are about 88 doctors involved. And actually, Spencer um, started that society through the Ball Truth, and um, they're all top doctors. Uh, if you go to IAHRS.org. Uh, and look on that website. Those are all the doctors that are presenting at, you know, big conferences, doing major research, uh, founding fathers of hair transplant. They're they're all, you know, very good. Oh, wonderful, cool. I'll so I'll make sure I put that uh, podcast link in the show notes because that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So with everything that you've done throughout your entire career, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Um, probably from my dad. Um, you know, he, um, instilled in me, never talk anybody into a procedure. Um, if you do that and something goes wrong for one, you have, you know, you have a much higher chance of getting sued. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is, um, it's not your decision. Um, and you want to, Build yourself up so where you're busy enough that you don't have to talk anybody into anything. They're gonna they're gonna come to you because you're the expert, and you provided them enough comfort and, and information that they're ready to make a decision for you to be the doctor. And, and um, that's kind of how I've done my whole career. Um, and it's really helped me with challenging patients uh, where I can stand up and say. You know, I think I'm done. Um, I've given you all the information, and we'll see you later. And it's amazing how uh, that can be effective as far as the patient kind of saying, you know what, uh, I'm just nervous right now. Let me come back and, and, and re-engage. Um, and um, I think it's the best way to practice medicine. Yeah, that's that's absolutely amazing advice. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Well, yeah. Dr. Daniel... Daniel, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, and uh, uh, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. If the listeners want to uh, see more of your work and to hear more about your, your practice, what's the best place they can go to do that? Uh, well, my website is uh, www.nahairrestoration.com, as in North Atlanta, hairrestoration.com. Um, that's probably the best bet. Um, um, that has all the information. We, we have a very active blog that we do weekly, um, and there's just a ton of information on that website uh, with before and after pictures and videos. Um, I think that's the best bet. Perfect. Excellent. I will make sure that is in the show notes. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. All right. Thank you, Yuri. Take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you
you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.